This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Welcome to the Rainbow Report. News, opinion, current affairs for the Rainbow community from Joy 94.9, Australia's only full-time gay and lesbian radio station. Gay and lesbian radio station. And now your host, Doug Pollard. Doug Pollard. News and interviews, Joy 94.9. Welcome back, uh, Douglas. I took the time off last week to uh, do my little stint with the Ministerial Advisory Committee, but I'm back with you again this evening, and I'm joined tonight by my uh, newly minted producer <laughs> and, for the time being, at least regular co-host, James Newbury. Good evening, James. Good evening, Doug. And how what a wonderful show we have for you tonight. Well, we do, and I'm now going to tell you all about it. Politics, once upon a time, used to be pretty simple. You decided which broadly-based party you could live with, and signed on for their entire suite of policies, including those you didn't like much. If you could be bothered, you worked from within to change the bits you didn't like, and the Labour and the Coalition are built on this model, and frankly, this model seems to be failing. In fact, some would say it's already failed. Instead, politically engaged people are not really joining parties at all, or if they are, they're joining small niche parties, uh, minor parties, uh, vanity parties, as you might call them, uh, <laughs> that are run for people like uh, the Bob Catter Appreciation Society or the... Clive Cl- Palmer Appreciation Society. Well, indeed, yes. Uh, yeah. So far, membership one, as far as I know. <laughs> but um, some minor parties are having a bit of an impact, and one of them is the Australian Sex Party, and also in the studio with us tonight is their leader, Fiona Patton. Welcome back, Fiona. Thank you, Doug. Thanks, James. And we'll be talking to Fiona in just a moment. Now, uh, a lot of people nowadays do their politics, not not through a party, but one issue at a time. They organise a slut walk or they run a petition online and so on and so forth. But all this stuff is very much dependent, as are the minor parties indeed, on the media. Uh, Are the media really as unbiased as they like to pretend, or are they as biased as we think? And does that matter? Are any of us listening to them anymore? So to help us out tonight, we'll be talking to Dr. Volker Hanisch, media expert from the University of the Sunshine Coast. And also helping us out, we'll have Dr. Margaret Simons from the director of the Centre for Advancing Journalism, who also writes for the for Crikey, The Age, Morning Herald, Griffith Review, The Monthly and everything else you can name. Mm-hmm. So, you know, very knowledgeable person. And uh, she'll be joining us in a little while. Now, uh, as I just said, the old parties are diminishing in the independents and the minor parties, Mm. like the sex party, are coming more to the fore. Um, First off, Fiona, um, when you started the sex party, people thought it was a bit of a joke. They Mm. looked at the name and thought, oh, you know, why couldn't they call it something sensible? (laughs) Uh, I think we got kind of past that point at the moment. Um, how big uh, an effort are you going to be making at the upcoming general election? Uh, we're going to make a huge effort. This is our second federal election. And, I mean, as you were saying, we really were only just registered at the last federal election. So 
we're standing Senate candidates in every state and territory. And had they not doubled the nomination fees, we we were hoping to stand in almost in an, in an awful lot of lower house seats. But I'm still very hopeful that we will cover most of the lower house seats in Victoria. Do, do you think this sudden jump in the fees was designed by the old parties to put a crimp in the new parties? I have absolutely no doubt that that is exactly <laughs> what it was about. Oh, that's a thought unworthy, Doug. Although, although Anthony Green, um, the the you know, election expert from ABC, he he suggested it was because the writing was getting too small on the ballot paper <laughs> for the ageing baby boomers and that if there was any more, I they'd have to... I beg your pardon. <laughs> Doug, you and I are both <laughs> with our glasses Good here tonight. <laughs> and I'm here with my perfect vision. Ah, 2020, straight mm. down the shotgun. <laughs> Indeed. So um, it, it is going to put a crimp in your style then because yeah. you're going to have to raise that much more money to do... Yeah. As much as you did before. Look, you I mean to, just for an example, in most small parties, their their I guess their their big campaigns are for the upper house, for the senate. Mm-hmm. So to run in in every state and territory, it did cost sixteen thousand dollars for a political party. It's now going to cost thirty two thousand dollars. Now mm. I know that that sort of money, sixteen thousand dollars, is you know probably toilet paper for the Liberal Party, but for for the smaller parties, this is going to have a huge impact, and I think it will actually stop some of the smaller parties from putting their name on the ballot in a lot in in all of the states. They're going to have to just pick and choose. Fiona, do you think that? Um this is a great time to move towards the budget. Could these fees be ways of raising revenue because the budget's not in great shape, as your reply mentioned? Well, I suppose in that case they should be encouraging more and more small parties um, to help with that budget deficit. Uh, as you know, James, I have some other ideas on how we could fix that budget <laughs> deficit, and I don't think it's on deposits. No, I think this is a real um, a cut into our democratic rights mm. and and as a country that has a you know generally fairly egalitarian and also I mean I suppose because voting's compulsory here I think that we should make it as possible as we can for people to stand for public office and for, to nominate and I would prefer to see that Frankly, I would pro- probably prefer to make it harder to become a political party, but once you're there, we should encourage you to run in as many places as possible. Yeah, I, I suppose the excuse is that they want to deter the frivolous. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, frankly, well, I think politics could do with a bit more well, frivolity. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, look, you know, is Clive Palmer frivolous? I mean, he's rich, so it doesn't matter. Um, no, that's a minor party, not a minor party. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps we'll have a Reinhardt it's party next. Party. It's Clive's <laughs> pup party. Why bother with the politics when you can just buy the media? Mm. Well, yes, we'll get to that later in the show. Mm. <laughs> we'll find out who who is where. So let's let's turn for the moment, getting onto that media mm. issue slightly. Um, everybody got a crack at replying to the budget. 
right? So we had the Greens coming up and making a speech. We had Tony Abbott getting up and making a speech. You had a response to the budget too, but I don't see much of it in the press. No, I think that was really disappointing and and this is only going to get harder that we, I thought, had quite some sensible responses to the budget. Well, it was certainly controversial enough to interest a news journalist, I would have thought. I, I would have thought so, but it was completely ignored. And frankly, I think we did have some new new ideas. And, and as a party that's polling around 6 and 7%, it is, it is, I think it, it is worthy that we get a voice out there. James, you've got some messages coming in here. Yes. So the the message which most interests me is uh, community media is the only true independent media from Leany. What do you think about that? Do you think we can rely on the commercials, Fiona, or is it just radio stations like Joy that, that actually care about truth in media? Look, I think Joy certainly allows for a much more diverse range of voices to be heard. And the major media really does still focus on that old two, three party preferred. Mm. So yeah, community radio or community uh, media does that to a degree. But do they have the reach? Well, that's funny you should mention that because in the budget, community broadcasting was looking for $5 million Mm. a year, which is a rounding error in the federal budget of $320 billion, and it got $1.2 million of old money rebadged. So I know. That, I mean, that's just so disappointing. And that's to convert to digital broadcasting, which is a government requirement. Mm. It, it's disturbing. Well, it is, because at some point they're going to switch off the analogue signal and sell the bandwidth to somebody else, yeah. presumably. Mm, computer nerds, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> oh, I it's mean, your fault. <coughs> yes, and yes. You're, seeing, I mean, you're seeing them putting out consultation papers on on how they can help businesses and, and, and of course, government departments um, get their message out using new digital technologies. But we're not, they're not funding the community's voice. They're, well, they're only funding the, commu- the, the government voice, and mm. I think that, that is really um, a tragedy. Well, uh, their excuse, as far as I understand it, was, well, you know, if your communities really want you, they'll stump up the money. <laughs> which, Fantastic. Which is, which is, you know, you know, go, go, go and heal yourself. You know, knock up your own set of crutches in the backyard. We shan't provide any on the health service kind of. Mm. That's response. right. I mean, that's. I mean, that's just such a narrow view. And when you look at the 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 amount of media that people are getting getting these days, and most of it. I, frankly, is from overseas, that yes. we do need to encourage grassroots and local media. And we start talking about that in with ABC and with the commercial mm. stations, mm. that we want them to have that Australian base, yet we don't fund the absolute grassroots of that Australian base, which is our community mm. media. Yeah, mm. and, and the other thing they said was, well, you know, you don't really need Spectrum. Um, <laughs> you can, you can uh, turn into internet radio stations. Oh, yes, well. And that would really answer the need, wouldn't it? Uh, well, can... why are we even worrying with this whole digital thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just turn off the radio and have a nice quiet evening? Oh, no, that's not going to work. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Might have to talk then, <laughs> mightn't we? <laughs> no, I, look, I think it's an absolute travesty and, I, and I, 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 hate, I hate to think that there's ulterior motives that, you know, that the major parties can control the, the, the big media to a degree... 
Um, although I don't think that the Labor Party's been having too much success well, with I, that. I don't, know, I don't um, know which way around it's going, who's controlling who, which yes. is the tail wagging the dog. Which is why we do need community, community media and mm. we need it ex- a, a, an awful, probably more now than we did 10 years ago. James. Would it surprise you to learn, Doug, that in the um, polling which came out today concerning the federal budget, seven out of ten respondents thought this government was guilty of pork barrelling for the election? Yes. Would it surprise you to learn that 48% of Australians think they're going to be worse off under this budget? So they're not in the pork barrel. Apparently not. But perhaps the most impressive figure for this election's poll was that 60% of Australians have declared the budget to be poor and very poor, and the most common word used to describe it was crap. We're looking at the change that's coming over politics, which in some ways I suppose is the same kind of change that went through the music business and the publishing mm. business. A lot of it's mm. to do with the internet, the decline of Labour and Coalition, the rise of the independents, the advent of these curious vanity parties and all these single-issue campaigns. To try and get a handle on where all this has come from and where it might be going, we're joined now by the Director of the Centre for Advancing Journalism, Dr Margaret Simons, good evening. Good evening. So, is this all down to the internet or are other things at play here? Oh, I don't think it's entirely due to the internet, but at the same time I do think that new technology is bringing some fundamental changes in the way human beings organise themselves and uh, and live together. And, you know, it's not the first time that's happened. Uh, when the printing press was invented, it made modern democratic forms possible. So it shouldn't surprise us that the next great technological innovation is putting a strain on those democratic forms. Well, it's certainly put a big strain on journalism, and we we, do, we still don't know where that's going to end up. Mm. That's that profession is in the throes of change. But do you think it's going to? You know, you cover a lot of this in your writing and so on. Do you think it's going to make fundal, fundamental changes to political parties? Can the old style political parties continue to exist in this new world? Well, I suspect it will make fundamental changes, but I don't think that's entirely. Um, internet-based. I mean, even before the internet began to have an impact, political party membership was declining. Hmm. But uh, I suppose the optimistic view of the technology is that it makes new ways of um, of connecting with our fellow citizens and new ways of organising politically possible, which might not have, might not previously be possible. Might not might not please a lot of your uh, standard issue politicians in the main parties, though, because they've got <laughs> that much less control over what's going on. I mean. My take on things, for what it's worth, and I'd love to know what you think, is that the kind of parliament we've just had, uh, and we're still having, where there isn't an overall majority for anybody and where coalitions basically have to be cobbled together almost on a day-to-day basis in order to get legislation through, is the way things are going to be in the future. And, And for one, I don't think it's all that bad. Well, I have to say I don't think the hung parliament has worked all that badly. There has been some very significant legislation Mm -hmm. which has got passed. Um, but um, it is difficult, I think, for a government to make unpopular decisions um, in a hung parliament when they have to get the consensus across a, a broad network, and um, and that may be an issue if you know if this is the way that things are going to be in the future. And it's not what the polls are indicating at the moment, I have to say. But mm-hmm. if it is the way things are going to be in the future, <laughs> that may be that may be um, you know that may be a big change. To the so, Margaret, this is um, James Newbury here. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering, do you, 
are you concerned about how Twitter is removing the analysis from news? I, I, I want to talk about the polling from this week. Mm. Specifically, we saw that um, polls are getting misrepresented by citizen journalists all the time. Mm. Um, this week, for instance, um, on Monday, we were told that the ALP gained a million votes, whereas, in fact, according to all the other polls this week, they lost ground. What well, do you think of that phenomenon? Well, I thought there was quite a lot of difference in the mainstream media, actually, about how different mm. polls were reported. I mean, if you look at the polls, they, they are slightly different questions. But the trends were very similar, I think, across both um, the Fairfax newspapers poll and news poll. Um, and yet they were reported quite differently by mainstream media as well. Mm. So I think it's a two-sided phenomenon. Um, it's certainly the case that on blogs and on the internet, you get some of the most sophisticated uh, polling analysis from people, you know, who are experts in the field and, and not necessarily journalists. And, of course, you also get uh, a lot of misinformation out there. So I think it's a two-sided phenomenon. It's not uh, not on its own. And I have to say, it's not only uh, citizen journalists either. Have we, as a society, just stopped listening to our, politi- to our politicians and our political class? Well, I see there is a bit of a disconnect going on, and that's one of the things that the research project that the centre I run is involved in is trying to do something about the uh, Citizens Agenda project in which we're trying to use social media in 10 key electorates to uh, engage voters and politicians in a different way. Mm. Do you think that the mainstream parties can learn to harness this, though? I mean, we've got Fiona Patton here. Mm. You you make quite extensive use of, of Twitter and Facebook to put your policies and so on out there. You do quite a lot of engagement with your supporters. The, the older parties don't seem to be so good at it. Well, I think I think what I'm seeing with, with the older parties is that they're becoming better at it, but they're becoming better at it in this kind of professional way where the smaller parties are actually doing it as it was intended and that it is very much that kind of mm. one-to-one and, and a lot rawer where we're now getting the message being, you know, moulded and and <coughs> matured and coming out. So so Julia Gillard's like Twitter, <laughs> Julia Gillard's Twitter, I... I, I I, you know, is, well, it's satire. Is really, it's the best satire, isn't it? Really. Well, I mean, it's, it's just really, you know, <laughs> li- little press statements, and I, 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 so I think, you know, they haven't quite got there. But I, I, I think that it's it's because of that that we are seeing so much interest in smaller parties, or so many people interested in starting smaller parties. Could it also be that people just? aren't interested in what the majors are saying because unlike the smaller parties, they've stopped talking about policy. Well, you know, I mean, even tonight we've just been talking about polling rather than, than anything <laughs> yeah. else. So, but I, I think that is the case. And, I, I, you know, they've become, they've become such an amorphous mob that mm. it's really hard to tell the difference between the three major parties as well, that they're sort of all fighting for that, you know, that first three minutes of a news grab or that first, you know, 15 seconds of the, the 7 o'clock reports. Mm. Margaret, I um, want to bring you back in on this because my question is basically, have we just simply become more Americanized in our politics where we're now sort of, we don't talk really about Labour and the you coalition. Could, you we could talk never about, have a sex party in America. We talk, no, but we talk about Abbott <laughs> It depends and upon the person, I think there is more of a, a presidential trend, if you like. I mean, obviously, mm. we don't vote for a president in the same way as the states. But as you say, people tend to think of it in, as a contest between leaders rather than between mm. policies. But, you know, it's hard to know that because 
that is the way the media reports it. And I do think, and certainly some of the um, research we've done suggests that there is a bit of a disconnect between the way the media reports politics and the way the average citizen experiences mm. politics. Um, you know, the average person is concerned about what's happening in their street, in their hospital, in their school, in their family, um, and uh, and isn't necessarily all that focused on the personality politics as their first point. And often, I think, are quite turned off and bored by that. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're not concerned about policy issues. Mm. I think what, I, what I'm also finding out there, and particularly, I suppose, with a young party that attracts a, a, a young voter, is the lack of knowledge of mm. the political system and of the electoral system. So I think your, your campaign with the 10 electorates is a, is a really interesting exercise, and I hope it's a really educative exercise because the number of people who I, who I, list, who I hear from who do believe we are in America and that we are voting <laughs> for a president, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they have very little understanding of how our system actually works and you know they watch a lot of american television they've all watched west wing they all know how politics works and you know i, I do think there is and they dis- all dial 911 yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> i blame television more radio is the answer more radio james i think we have some, uh, a message here which is yes. pertinent okay so um For my opinion, politics of the major parties is totally about spin on spin to get through to the next election, to keep a grip on their personal remuneration. Most people are just over the spin and believe there is no substance in our police and may look to the minor parties to push single issues. Media controls police. They will buy us a party that favours media person... um, Sorry, that favours the personal interests of media owners. And that's from Dean. Hmm. Mm. Well, that's a very that's a very cynical viewpoint, isn't it, Margaret? <laughs> it is rather. I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Mm. I mean, the media control polys or polys control media. I think they're locked. I suppose I would say that the political class, which includes both political journalists and politicians, are, are locked in a, a dance together. It's, a, it's an awkward kind of a dance. But the difficulty is that the ordinary citizens tend to look on yeah. or, or look away and not really feel that it's anything to do with them. Yeah, it, it is kind of exclusionary in that way, isn't it? it, mm. it all this sort of Canberra analysis mm. that goes on um, and, and the politicians trying to persuade the journos and the journos trying <laughs> to persuade the pollies and we're kind of left sort of standing on the well, out, on the edge of the dance floor <coughs> waiting for someone to come up and say, well, that, would you care to, to well, waltz that's right. with me? It's, it's politics as spectator sport rather than mm. politics in which we all have a stake. Mm. Which is and fairly dull, really. <laughs> it is dull. It is actually at its hard exceedingly boring yeah. and um and that's why we're trying this exercise in which we're mm. actually using social media to encourage people in these 10 electorates to pose questions to say not who you're going to vote for which is a fairly yeah. dull question but what do you want this election to be about what issues do you want the candidates to be talking about Ex- as a guy for your vote yeah and i think that's that's i think that's that's the most brilliant part of this exercise margaret because what i you know, quite often as a lobbyist when I've spoken to politicians about issues and they've said, yes, of course, we see community polling, we see the research, we totally support that position. However, I hold this seat by 4%. If I make a statement on this issue, there might be 4% of the population Mm. in my electorate who will not vote for me on this grounds and I will lose my superannuation, I will lose my job, so I'm going to stay mum on it. And so I think exercises like you're doing will actually hopefully tease that out a bit further. 
And, and I hope that you, if you have candidates in the electorate in which we're active, I hope they'll approve. As soon as we're through pre-selection, we are registering with you, I promise. <laughs> and we have had another comment in, Doug, from Pamela. We live in a shallow form of democracy. Deals are done with apparatchiks, lobbyists, and non-elected faceless men to manipulate the polity. We need another model of democracy, please. Ooh. Mm. Strong words indeed. Here, here. Very difficult to change the political system in this country, though. No. <laughs> By but, design, in <clears> fact. <throat> but, but, hope, but hopefully we can enlarge the voice. Mm, that's mm. right. It's about having more people being heard. And mm. uh, as I say, I think, I mean, most people will tell you they're not interested in politics, but what they're saying is that they're not interested in politics as, as it's reported. Uh, as, it's yes, as currently practised, as it were, but, yeah. But, you know, get a conversation going about the education system or about the health system or about mm-hmm. um, welfare benefits or immigration or or whether or not there should be subsidies for car companies, which is... A, <laughs> and people are very interested in that. That's yes, right. they that's are. Politics. That's actually more politics than the personality stuff. Mm. It is indeed. Mm. Well, well, uh, Dr. Margaret Simons, thank you very much for joining us tonight and for your valuable insights and for the work you do. It's a pleasure. Uh, next up, we'll be talking to a lecturer in journalism up at the University of the Sunshine Coast, Dr. Volker Hanisch. He's done a study into media bias, and he says, for example, that while most reporters dress to the left, their bosses lean to the right. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Uh, one of the arguments that uh, constantly rages is on the subject of the media and media bias. Indeed, conservatives have gotten so riled up about it, they're even trying to sell off the ABC and the SBS again because of what they think is their persistent left-wing bias. My next guest has surveyed the media landscape and uncovered some slightly harder facts rather than just opinion. He's Dr. Folger Hanisch of the University of the Sunshine Coast. Good evening, Dr. Hanisch. Good evening, Doug. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, um, you come up with some very interesting bits of information in your survey um, about the political flavour of the ABC, uh, News Limited and Fairfax, respectively. How how did you arrive at those percentages? Okay. well, um, we basically conducted the first representative survey of Australian journalists in, I'd say, 20 years. Uh, So we interviewed 605 Australian journalists across the entire media landscape, including magazines, newspapers, TV, radio, online. And um, we asked them a range of questions that we were interested in about their professional views, about influences on their work, about their ethical standards, um, and also a range of demographic questions and and also their voting intentions and political beliefs. Mm -hmm. So you you came up with the figure that um, just over 41% of ABC journalists who declared their voting intention to you, and I I understand a lot of people wouldn't want to, but Mm -hmm. um, they said they'd vote for the Greens. That's ahead of of the ones who said they'd vote for Labour or the Coalition. That was a bit of a surprise to me. I thought we'd have seen Labour up front there. Yes, um, I guess it is a, a slightly surprising finding. We do have to keep it in perspective, though, a little bit. There's been a fair bit of discussion, I guess, about some of these figures in the last few days, too. Um, as I pointed out in my original article, these differences are, you know, while statistically significant, they are based on relatively small sample sizes, so we're dealing with a larger margin of error here. So it may not be that, in the end, you know, 41% of all ABC journalists <laughs> are actually voting for the Greens. 
But it's, it's just a kind of indication, isn't it, of the, yeah. of the way the wind is blowing there. James Newbury. Hi, uh, Dr. Hanish. I was really interested to see that the Greens number was so high when consistently primary vote for the Greens in the general population is around 10 to 12 percent. That implies that there is a genuine bias in the ABC. Um, well, look, I think there is a, there is a trend um, towards a higher representation for the Greens. Again, the numbers are relatively small, and we've also got to remember that for News Limited as well as Fairfax, we've actually got, we came up with 20% vote for the Greens. Mm. So, uh, you know, which is still double the number of the general population. I guess, you know, few people would um, accuse News Limited of being uh, biased towards the Greens. Oh, that communist <laughs> rag, the Australian, for instance. Um, yes. Exactly. So, yes. you know, I think, uh, again, there is a slight difference, um, and it, it may be that ABC journalists are slightly more to the left than, uh, than News Limited or Fairfax journalists. You know, I mean, that, that is quite possible. I, I was interested to see, in fact, that um, you, you quote 54, nearly 55% uh, would vote Labour at Fairfax and even 46.5% uh, at News Limited, which was uh, much higher than the number who said they'd vote for the coalition at 26.7%. Um, that was a surprising figure given the persistent um, and very obvious pro-coalition bias in those papers. But then came another little figure, which was the one about senior management who um, actually take rather a different view to the reporters on the ground, don't they? Yes, and I think that is really the, um, the probably the most significant aspect, I think, of, of this, this research, uh, because amongst senior editors, so that's managing editors, editors-in-chief, uh, those who really have the say in the newsrooms around the country, 43% of those would vote for the coalition, and only 34% for Labor and 11% for the Greens, so that's much more a representation of, I guess, the general population out there at the moment. Yeah, that was also quite shocking to me, Dr Hanish, that it was almost um, today's polling numbers, in fact, from, yes. from Morgan. Um, what we have going on at the moment is um, roughly 54-46 um, on a two-party preferred basis with 54% mm -hmm. um, primary vote Oh, sorry, with 48% primary vote going to the coalition, which is 5% um, less than what the senior editors said, so you can't really say that they're more right-wing <laughs> than the population. No. Um, then you've got the Labor Party on 34.1, which is, in fact, less support, but once again, the Greens are about right. What, how far out do you think your numbers are? What's your confidence interval here? Um, look, again, I think the, the, the numbers have, because we're again talking about smaller sample sizes for the senior editors and the rank and file, overall the study has a, has a margin of error of 4%. Now, <clears throat> again, not everyone answered that, that particular question, so mm -hmm. perhaps it's more 5%. When we're looking at those individual categories, it, it goes up higher depending on the, the number of responses. So we had about 83, I think I said in the article, senior editors. So that's you know maybe more a margin of error of about 9%. If you look at just the raw numbers. What is the important thing is that if, if he's t um, tested for any statistical difference between the senior editors and the rank and file, you do come up with a significance level. So that means that there is some difference going on, but we can't necessarily put it into numbers that it's now, you know, 15% difference mm. or something like that. So would you say then that um, because of this 
um, kind of corrective bias, if I could put it that way, uh, among the senior editors that that, that less of the perceived, uh, less of the supposed green bias or labour bias that's at their grassroots within these media actually makes it into the pages or onto the screens. That that what actually comes out at the other end is probably pretty close to um, the beliefs of the general population. Well, yes. I mean, one and and again, the question is, <clears throat> excuse me, the question is, do senior editors model their decision making or their their political beliefs after the general population, or does the media affect the general population's uh, political, you know, their vote? Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's not very clear cut. We don't actually have all that much evidence that that says, you know, direct influence on the public uh, if articles are politically skewed, and. Um, at the same time, we also don't have a lot of evidence that, just, that, that suggests that your political um, beliefs will automatically skew your reporting as a journalist. Mm. There's a professional framework within which journalists work, and so for those rank and file, for example, there's a there are the senior editors as an influence, their personal beliefs, sure. ownership, you know, cultural influences, a whole range of, of aspects. I mean, I've, I've, I've always believed, really, that um, at the end of the day, people can detect bias when they see it in their media, mm-hmm. and they kind of apply a discount, so to speak. So they say, oh, well, this is on the ABC, so it's bound to be a bit lefty, so I'll oh. take that into account. Yeah. Or this is in the Australian, so I know it's uh, somewhere in right-wing nut territory, so I'll apply that discount. Then. Not according to Dr. Hanish's. <laughs> according to this, the Australian And that's just me election. showing my bias as a journalist. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, it's a fascinating study, uh, Dr. Hanish, and uh, I'm sure it will give many people pause for thought Mm. to think that uh, so many News Limited journalists are actually on their side and they never knew. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Hanish, thank you very much for your time tonight. No problem. Thanks for having me. Regular listeners will know that James is extremely prominent on social media, a proud IT nerd, a manic and sometimes intemperate Twitterer. Intemperate? Mm Mm-hmm. And a guru on all things internet. He's also a graduate of the Taste of Radio course. So Indeed I am. He, so, you know, he can tell you how wonderful it is. He also has a formidable grasp of the nuts and bolts of politics. So we're going to chew over what we've heard so far tonight and throw a few more things into the pot before we go. But before we get to that, James, we have some new messages in. We do. OK, so the first one is, lovely to hear from a smart woman in Fiona Patton. Do you think people take them seriously with a name like that? Good luck to her. Well... In answer to your question, I think the name is more of a plus than a negative for the ASP because it gives them the ability to get under people's skin and underneath their shells and protective sort of barriers. What do you think, Doug? Well, it seems to be quite good for um, (laughs) catching people a wee bit off balance, shall we say, which is no bad thing in politics, um, considering how kind of buttoned down and uptight so many of our politicians are, at least in public and privately. It's a different Mm. matter, as Craig Emerson will explain shortly in court. Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) but, uh, I, I think it's also that it's aimed at a different demographic. It's not aimed at people like me or even at people like James. It's aimed at people who disengage from politics, like 
Todd here, who's sitting the other side of the desk. It's Gen Y, you know, trying, yes, to, get, trying yes. to get them fired up. I think as well, it's also important to remember how people process political messages. When they have time and the energy, they will actually assess it. So some people will sit down and make time to read policy and go, oh, look, the Gonski review is great, um, but I'm not happy about how they're pulling $2.8 billion from universities to fund finger painting in year three. <laughs> so... That's what's called the central path. Then there's another one called the peripheral path where you go, oh, I just don't like that Tony Abbott and that Julia Gillard's awful. And this is taking the things about the people rather than... This is, this is the fountain gate view of politics. The, the fountain gate view of politics. And this is called the peripheral path. So what the sex party's name allows them to do is actually hijack the peripheral path to get under the skin of people like our, our producer here, our technical producer, TJ, <laughs> and then, you know, suck him into to their real policy statements, which are proper ratings for games, um, no internet filter, libertarianism, libertarianism, libertarianism. And, mm -hmm. and what the sex party does brilliantly is follows it up with substance. Right. Mm. Okay, another message come in. Oh, God, there's several messages here. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, okay, there are several messages here where, where it's just going off like a, a frog in a sock. Doug, what about the gay media? What's the bias there? Well, the gay media has a specific niche role to play. You're talking to the gays? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it, is a, it is a specific role... To well, I, I I think it's got two functions. One is for is for us to talk to one another and find out what we're up to, and help cement us together as a community and discover what we do want and what we do think, which is incredibly diverse. Um, its other role is to represent the community to the wider world. Which so is, it kind of has two faces. Yes, we're always two faced. Um, <laughs> it's media. What do you expect? Mm. Um, I personally think that um, it's inevitable that you're going to have a degree of bias creeping in, therefore, because we are a minority and we're a minority that discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we are going to be biased against people who discriminate against us. Which is perfectly reasonable, but I think... And we I think we're upfront about that. Yes, yes. But I think we need to be a little bit more like Warren Mundine, Indigenous leader yes. and former president of the Australian Labor Party. He resigned his membership and very publicly stated that he's going to work with anybody because Indigenous issues are bigger than party politics. And I think the same is true for us. Yes, I think that's where we need to get to. We have been rather kind of cemented to the hip of the Labor Party. Well, Rainbow Labor now. have done wonderful things, but I think... I think it's time we expand our reach, much like we need to take a, a page from the Australian Christian Lobby's book. <laughs> well, perhaps we should vote for Julian Assange. Oh, Julian Assange. Well, Julian Assange is interesting. He's locked in an embassy um, in London, and we've had actually a question here. So that was a lovely segue, Doug. I know. Asking, how is he going to run for office? Well, the rules state, provided he can sign the paperwork and the paperwork gets back to Australia, he can be on the ballot. It doesn't matter. You are not obligated to hold any campaign events. You are not obligated to shake the hands of a voter or kiss any babies or anything of that that like. So, yes, he can actually appear on a ballot, and if he gets enough votes, he will become senator-elect for, I believe he's running for Victoria. He's running for Victoria, yes. Yeah. So mm. that's the answer to your question, Andrew. Yes. However, however, there is a technicality, Doug. Ah. In order to get his diplomatic passport as a senator, he needs to be sworn in first. 
and he can't leave the embassy until he's under diplomatic immunity or finds oh, a bit of a catch twenty two here. Yes. So the second he so, so, so couldn't couldn't we just sort of send the ambassador round to the Ecuadorian embassy? Well, it would need to either be the Governor General or Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, that'd be nice. So he can invite Her Majesty round for tea. Yes, I think we're now moving into a part where WikiLeaks, frankly, is a vanity party, and I just don't see how Queen Elizabeth could possibly hop into a cab and go down to the embassy and say, I'm here to swear you in, Mr. Assad. <laughs> I just don't see it happening. Uh, I don't know. I don't mm. know. I, I certainly can't see Liz dropping in for tea. Uh, I can see Quentin might do, <laughs> do it. Do they drink tea in Ecuador? I thought it was coffee. Uh, it's probably yerba mate or something like oh, that. Fabulous. fabulous. Yes. Uh, which is disgusting, by the way, if oh. you've ever tried it. Mm. It's like boiled lawn clippings. So <laughs> what we're seeing, though, is a rise in um, single-issue politics where people like me set up online campaigns to go about and make one single change. Um, that, that would seem to tie in with the next message that we got in here, which I will read. Further even than what you suggest, Doug, it seems that increasingly people aren't just accounting for bias but seeking it out. It's not just niche parties that benefit from social media prolifer proliferation, but niche media. Increasingly, people look to consume media that reflects their own biases. Thanks for that, Sarah. Well, the echo chamber effect. Yes, I have to admit, um, I have two Twitter accounts, one that I follow when I just want nice, nice things, and one that I look at when I want to be engaged with the world. Um, I think that this echo chamber is getting worse because we have the ability to filter out anything. Google News will automatically, based on your searches and what you're interested in, bias the media getting to you from news.google. So... I'm getting lots of things about computers and technology, whereas Doug seems to get a lot more about, well, everything, really. <laughs> well, it, it, it's curious. It's a, bit like, um, it's a bit like when you shop at Amazon or something like that. You buy two or three things, and that immediately narrows down the kind of range of things they will offer to sell you. So you keep getting suggested stuff by, oh, you know, you bought this. Other people who bought this bought that. Maybe you'd be interested in this. Um, it, it kind of narrows down your choices all the time. Obviously, you can break out and go mm. and find stuff on your own. But um, I think something of the same thing tends to happen with your news feeds as well, that you it you doesn't. only end up, you know, it's, it's hard to come across any, anything serendipitously. It is. Uh, unlike a newspaper, when you open up this big thing and flip through it and then throw it at people... You don't have the opportunity to just stumble upon things, and that's why there are websites like StumbleUpon, um, which are designed to break you out of this this um, echo chamber, yep. which is driving us all insane, I think. So what a lot of people are getting, and I think even the professional politicians think they're getting it, we're seeing a lot more of people thinking, oh, well, I'm hearing, I'm hearing these messages that I'm sending out, therefore it must be what the population thinks. And that's how a lot of this stuff is kind of self-reinforcing now. Before we uh, wind up, which we're going to have to do in a minute or two, the, um, I wanted to get on to the subject of single-issue campaigns and these petition sites, because we've talked about minor parties and we've talked about the death of the old parties. Um, one of the big influences on politics these days does seem to be these massive petitions that get mm. ramped up online. Um, Jason Ball, to uh, mention but one, has had a certain amount of 
gained a certain amount of leverage with the AFL through getting a lot of signatures mm. on his petition to combat homophobia in the AFL, and he's not the only example. Um, but I think people ought to know um, that some of these petition sites are not as quite as benign as they look on the surface. Yeah, so if we look at, for example, let's start with the big one. GetUp.org was started with seed money from the Australian Union movement and is heavily biased towards convincing you to vote Labour. Then you've got ones like All Out, um, Org, which is specifically owned by the gay community and will not take money from anybody but its members who are trying very hard to be a very, very neutral platform specifically for pushing the gay issues. Those are all fine. Where I um, think we... You've also got Avaz, which is the UK-based one. That, I think, is charitably funded. It's uh, mm -hmm. charitable foundations uh, and membership money. Yes. Uh, and therefore not beholden to any corporates or government departments or whatever. And these organisations, except for GetUp, are all publishing financials. So the ones that are publishing financials, I think, are okay. Where I start to find problems is in your getups and your change.orgs where they're not publishing financials so change.org is interesting because it's owned by a lobby group in k street in washington it's also interesting in that uh, it's not the only one um but it's also interesting because it's actually a commercial business that's right it's it, it, trying it, to make money it, it doesn't care about social change or it may well, but money is its primary. Uh, it, its primary focus is on money. It's an American company. What else would it be? Um, <laughs> its primary focus is on making money. Mm. Um, it sells your details, so it aggregates your details and says, "We have a list here of you know X thousand people who are interested in issue Y," um, and then they go to other companies or businesses or um, not-for-profit organisations or whatever and say, "We can sell you these email addresses that I think it's a dollar seventy apiece." Yes, and then for instance, you. Can can perhaps target your petition more closely to people that care about your issues. So I, it is also, we should also point out that we invited Change.org to join us this evening, an invitation that they did decline. Well, they didn't have anybody available this evening. I am going to be speaking with them over the course of the next week, and we're going to see if we can get them on mm. uh, at a future date. Um, th th there's been a certain amount of controversy about change.org that has popped up in the States because they've changed the way they're doing business. Um, the, as far as I can understand it, the, the previously they said they would only take money from um, progressive organizations and the like. Now they're going to take money from anybody, which is the simplest way to put it. Yes. Anyway, we'll have a more detailed discussion with change.org in a future program because I do think it's important and, and hopefully get some of the other guys on from some of the other organizations. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.